Good morning. I'm just going to start with a prayer, and then we're going to uh, look into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you, Lord, that we have a church that we can come to and lift the name of your Son, that we can give thanks, Lord, with hearts that have been blessed by the gospel, the power of your love and the mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that we come together as brothers and sisters to come under the teaching of your word. Father, I pray that your word would accomplish your perfect will in our lives, that we may be challenged, Lord God. May these truths be embedded in our hearts as we live a life to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's message uh, is titled, Living Faithfully, The Effect of Christ's Resurrection. I know we're already in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be today. I'm going to sort of overview chapter 15, and then we're going to focus in on verse 58. I want us in our time together in God's Word to look at what it means to live a faithful life to God and how the resurrection of Jesus Christ affects that reality. I want us to be encouraged by the Word of God this morning, to have a hope that is immovable and steadfast, and a faith that stands the test of time. Um, i got to say, as a grew up in this church, not as a young person, I got saved later on in life, but as I was preparing this message and going through these verses and praying over it, there were certain people, certain brothers and sisters that just emulated this, a life of faithfulness to God. I spoke to Ellie uh, Pulse last week about Bob and just being with him and speaking to him and Fred Schwamm, just talking to him as a new believer, and Sid Williams, and, and Dot Foray. And we can all, we have these people in our lives, each one of us. And they lived a faithful life to God. And I believe that they had these truths central in their hearts and in their minds. And that's what God used to help them live that life to the glory of God. I want us to look at how we are to live in such times as these. How we should respond in light of the realities that unfold around us today and the days to come because they certainly have been changing very fast. We're going to look at a passage that challenges us to say whatever we are, might be facing in our lives whether we find ourselves in the midst of joys and blessings, or whether we have faced personal tragedy in our lives, in the end, our response should always be the same, and that is, by God's grace, we should be committed to a life of faithfulness to God and the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me ask you this morning, and I want you to honestly answer this from your heart. Is that the great commitment of our lives? Is that what drives us? 
a life of faithfulness to God. My hope and prayer is that by the time we're done this morning, we'll understand the importance of it and we'll come to embrace it as the motive and the mission of our lives. I want us to study this issue together. So again, please work your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. I would like to ask you to please stand as I read this verse, if you can. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. Thank you. Now you know that 1 Corinthians 15 is both the longest and the greatest New Testament exposition of the doctrine of the resurrection. Both the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our own future resurrection. But it's interesting to notice that a, a long chapter, a detailed exposition of the resurrection ends as it does with a personal call to a life of faithfulness to God. In just one brief verse, Paul not only exhorts us to live a faithful life, but he also lays out for us three defining characteristics of that faithful life so that we know what it looks like and how to pursue it. So let's look at this verse together. So first of all, let us consider the theological foundations of a faithful life. You see, a faithful life just doesn't happen. You don't just say, well, I'm going to live a faithful life today. No, it's got to be founded and rooted in God's Word. Notice how it begins in verse 58. He begins by identifying those to whom he writes. He says, my beloved brethren. Obviously, he's writing to the Corinthians, but specifically, this verse is addressed solely to his brothers and sisters in Christ, to those who he truly come to love. The point is this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ as you sit here this morning, if you would say, I am committed to Jesus Christ, to follow him, to obey him, then this verse is addressed to you. Notice how the exhortation actually begins. I skipped the very first word, but let's look at it together because it's very important. The word, therefore. Therefore, my beloved brethren. Therefore, as a result of all these truths, this exhortation here in verse 58 is a natural consequence of the theological truths that have been explaining, that he has been explaining throughout the 15th chapter. It is those truths that serve as a foundation of a faithful life to God. If you want to live a, faith, a life of faithfulness, it will only happen if these truths are present in your life. If you own them, if you are committed to them, if you believe in them. So first of all, 
we see the gospel. The first theological foundation, and by the way, there is an outline in your um, bulletin if you would like to follow along. The first theological foundation is the gospel. That's found in the first 11 verses of this chapter 15. Paul describes the gospel that every true Christian has believed. And he does so in four statements that capture the events of the life of Jesus Christ. I know you're very familiar with these, but please let me just take some time to remind you. He begins in verse 1 by saying, Here's the gospel I preach to you, which also you received. Verse 2, The gospel you believed and were saved. And then beginning in verse 3, he lays out these four statements. Statement number 1, verse 3. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus Christ, the Messiah who was promised, God's eternal Son, became flesh, lived a life of perfect obedience to God, and then He died for our sins. Paul doesn't explain here the connection between the death of Christ and our sins, but he does in other places, and the New Testament is filled with them. But here, in this verse, the connection is this. He died as a substitute for us. He died in our place, satisfying the justice that our sins deserve from God. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Second statement is found in verse 4. He was buried. Now why is that important? Because it means he literally died. It means that he paid the penalty for our sin, death, death on a cross, and therefore he was buried. The third statement, also found in verse 4, is that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He was raised from the dead. So this sometimes can be very familiar to us. And I'm afraid that sometimes we lose the real perspective of what really happened. I want you to think for a moment about somebody you know and whose body you stood over at a funeral. It was a lifeless body, a corpse in which that person no longer was there. Merely an empty vessel in which they lived and it was completely without life. That is the reality that was true with Jesus our Lord. He died and his body entirely lacked all of life. But on the third day, God worked a miracle. And God raised him from the dead. In a moment's time, his physical heart began to beat. The blood began to flow through his veins. His lungs expanded. His physical body came to life. And he was inhabited again by his soul, his human soul. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The fourth statement that encompasses the Gospel is found in verses 5 through 10. He was seen by witnesses. This is an essential part of the Gospel. 
God handpicked witnesses of the resurrection. More than 500 of them saw the resurrected Christ. That's the gospel message. That's the essence of the gospel. So how do you and I respond to that message? Notice verse 2. So that by the message, you are saved. You are rescued. You are delivered from, the, from your sins and the penalty of your sins, which is spiritual death. What do you have to do in response to that message to be saved? Well, it's right here in the text. The first response is you have to hear the true gospel. Notice verse 1. Paul refers to the gospel which I preach to you. Verse 2, the word which I preach to you. As Paul puts it in Romans chapter 10, how shall they believe if they haven't heard? You can't believe what you haven't heard. You have to hear the message of the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So that's the first thing that has to happen. Secondly, you must receive that message as true. Receive it as true. Notice verse 1. The gospel which I preach to you, which also you received. What does that mean? I think Paul is alluding to what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, when he says, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. So you have to hear the gospel. You have to believe that that message is true, that it comes from God Himself. Thirdly, you must also believe in Jesus Christ. That's the message of verse 11. You must believe in Christ. Whether then it was I, he says, right, that is Paul himself, or they, the apostles, this is the gospel that we preached. He says to the Corinthians, this is what you believed. You not only have to hear the message, believe that the message is true, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that you abandon all hope of ever being right with God in any other way. But only through the person and work of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, putting your complete and total confidence in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now this faith, believing in Christ, implies repentance of our sins. In fact, Acts chapter 20, verse 21, said, Paul says, this is our message. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The two cannot be separated. They go together. Where there is genuine saving faith in Christ, there will always be a turning away from sin. In addition, believing in Christ implies a willingness to follow Him as Lord. This is what we see in Romans 
chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. You must confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. The confession of Jesus as Lord and believing in your heart, they're one of the same. They go together. They cannot be separated. So the first theological foundation of a faithful life to God is trusting in the gospel. Paul tells us in verse 3, the gospel is of first importance. This is why the gospel is of first importance in living a life faithful to God. I remember as a young man, and uh, maybe some of the young people here can relate to this, or maybe I'll help them along uh, what happened in my life, but as a young man, I, I tried to live a good life, a faithful life to God. I was brought up the right way, going to church, uh, did all the stuff you do, at least the way I was brought up, praying to stone statues, lighting candles, doing this, doing that, doing all these things that I was taught that would make you right with God. However, there was still this emptiness. There was a lack of peace in my heart. There was something missing. And one night driving home from work, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ over the radio. The power of God unto salvation. I pulled right over. I listened to the truth of the gospel. That I was a sinner. That there was no way I could do anything right to God. Because I was a sinner. I couldn't approach God. But then I heard the good news. That Jesus Christ went to the cross for me. That He took my sin. He took my guilt. He took my shame. And He paid the price in full so that I now can go boldly to the throne of grace knowing that Jesus Christ loved me and He gave His life for me. That's the power of the Gospel. It changed me from a man, young man who didn't know if, who God was and how to live a life faithful to God to now I know how to live a faithful life to God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in His perfect work and obedience on the cross. Knowing that He loves me. And that He lives, His Spirit lives in me. And He intercedes for me and I can have a personal relationship with Him. If you're going to live a faithful life to God, you need to hear this message. You have to believe this message is true. That is truly from God. And you have to believe in Jesus Christ. Turning from your sin and committing yourself to follow Him. The second theological foundation of a faithful life is related. It's believing in the Lord's resurrection. Beginning in verse 12 and running through the middle of verse 20, Paul explains the devastating consequences if Jesus was not raised from the dead. In fact, notice what he says in verses 12 and 13. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you Corinthians say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And then beginning in verse 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised, let me tell you how bad this is. If there is no resurrection of Christ, and he hasn't been raised, he goes on to say, our preaching is in vain, and also is your faith. In other words, the message that we present to you is worthless. And there is number one on your outline, no legitimate gospel. There is no good news. He goes on in verse 15 to say that number two, there is no reliable revelation. He said, think of all those who said there is a resurrection. They were all liars. I mean, this is far outreaching because think about it. The Old Testament spoke of the resurrection. Jesus spoke of the resurrection of his own body from the dead. The apostles spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if there is no resurrection, then they're all liars. There's no reliable revelation. God's word, all of it not true. That's what they're saying. Verse 16 and 17, number 3. There's no real forgiveness of sins. There is no forgiveness at all. We are still under the penalty of our sins. And verse 18, number 4, there is no eternal life. All believers who have died before us are irretrievably lost. And we too at death will be forever separated from God. That makes me sick. Just saying that. But there are those around us, family members, people we work with, people we run into that believe exactly that. We are so blessed. God has blessed us unbelievable. We should never walk around with our head down because we are children of God. We have been forgiven of our sins. We have been raised up with Christ. On the other hand, if you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then you have a foundation for a faithful life to God. Because you know He defeated sin and death, satisfying the wrath of God which we all deserve. In fact, look at verses 56 and 57 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, The sting of death is sin. But the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He defeated both sin and death so that if you believe in Jesus Christ's resurrection, you have the theological foundation of a life, a faithful life to God. The resurrection gives us confidence and it gives us hope that we can live a faithful life to God. I remember after being saved, going to Pastor Musser's baptism class. And it was amazing how I came to understand that my union with Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection, I was united. I, I was in union with Christ. I, the old man died. And the new man in Christ was risen with Christ. 
The Spirit of Jesus lived in me. There was a new man, right? If, if anybody be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I remember coming to the table as a new believer. Do this in remembrance of me. And you come to the table and you're with your family of God and, and you remember and celebrate the life of Jesus Christ. We, we partake in the, in the, in the grape juice uh, re- reflecting the, uh, the, body, the blood of Jesus Christ and how He shed His blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That His body was broken for us. And, and we come before the, the Lord and, and we examine ourselves. And, and, and there's confession of sin and there's encouragement by the Spirit of God. And, and we wait eagerly for the return of Jesus Christ to come again. And so Paul links these two things together. There's a, a third theological foundation, a third one, of a faithful life to God, and that is believing in our own resurrection. Beginning in the middle of verse 20 and running to the re- through the rest of chapter 15, that's the message. You see, it's a truth that some in Corinth were denying. And so Paul links the two together. Look at verse 20. He says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep. He's the promise of a greater harvest of resurrection. Verse 23, each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming, second coming. And he goes on to describe the nature of our resurrection in the rest of this chapter. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14 says, He who raised the Lord Jesus Christ will raise us also. So believing in the Gospel, believing in our Lord's resurrection, and believing in our own resurrection are the theological foundations of a faithful life to God. Whatever you face in this life, whatever hardships, whatever difficulties, you can still live a faithful life to God because you know this is all that we got. There's a greater life ahead of us. Eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. Only if you are convinced of these great truths, God will give God will give us the strength and the determination to live a faithful life to Him regardless of what comes our way. Now, having explained the theological foundations for such a life, Paul now explains the principal expressions of a faithful life. Look at verse 58. And we're going to sort of hone down into 58 now. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The main verb in this sentence in the Greek is the verb be. The Greek word here is probably best translated to become 
or to prove yourselves to be. It's an imperative command. So what exactly are we to become or prove ourselves to be? He then goes on with three principal expressions of a faithful life. First of all, if you're going to live a faithful life, hold fast to the Word of God. Notice the word steadfast. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. The Greek word means to be firmly or solidly in place. Go back to verse 1. It says, The gospel which I preach to you, in which you also stand. You stand firmly in the gospel. Verse 2, hold fast to the word which I preach to you. You've got to hold fast. You've got to be steadfast in what you have learned and heard from the Scriptures and what you have been taught. That's what he's saying. Perhaps the best biblical explanation of what it means to remain steadfast is found over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. God's Word says, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, be steadfast, be firmly established in the faith. In other words, hold on to the truth that you have learned from God's Word. Notice here in Colossians chapter 1, it's defined as continuing in the faith firmly established. In other words, it's remaining committed to the truth of the Scripture that you have believed, including the Gospel. Just hold on to the Word of God. Don't be swayed from whatever comes along. Look one chapter past that to Colossians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Colossians 2, verses 5 through 6. Paul writes this, Even though I am absent in body, I am never, nevertheless with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline. And notice this, and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, so live in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. You are being established. You are being given the stability in the faith by the instruction you have received from what? From the Word of God. The most important thing a Christian has is God's Word. There's a second principle expression. It's cling to the hope of the Gospel. Cling to the hope of the Gospel. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 58, we read, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable. This is a really interesting Greek word, this word immovable. It was used in the secular Greek to describe a ship that was carefully tied to its mooring so it wouldn't drift. What's interesting is the same Greek word, the root of this word occurs back in Colossians chapter 1. That's why I wanted you to see that text. Both of our words occur here. 
Colossians 1, verse 28, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, there's the first one, and then the second one, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Not moved away. That's the same root word as the word immovable in our text. What was the hope that the gospel produced in them? It was hope of eternal life and eternal glory. They believed the gospel because it had the promise of eternal life. Titus 3 verse 7 says, being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Also, we see in Romans chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. That means in hope of seeing God's glory and sharing in God's glory. We were saved in these hopes, in hope of eternal life and in hope of seeing and sharing God's glory. But here's the issue. The hope of eternal life and eternal glory is only possible because of what? Because of the hope in our resurrection. That's why in Acts 23, verse 6, Paul says, Paul says this, I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. In Acts 24:15, he says, I have a hope in God which these men cherish themselves that they shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. You see, if you're going to live a faithful life to God, you have to live and cling to this hope of your future resurrection. Why? Because again, if you are just committed to this life, and this is all that matters to you, you're not going to live a faithful life to God. So a faithful life has this expression. First, hold fast to the truth of God's Word. Second, cling to the hope of the Gospel. That is the resurrection. And thirdly, abound in the work of the Lord. Notice back in 1 Corinthians 1.58. Paul writes this, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. There are several points of emphasis in that expression. First of all, we're to work hard. The Greek word translated here is work to a point of exhaustion. The idea of that word abound is to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. As Paul puts it in Titus 2.14, we were redeemed so that we would be zealous for good works. What exactly is the Lord's work? Well, at times the New Testament uh, expresses as used for gospel ministry. But many times it's used for all of those spiritual activities that will benefit either our own souls or the souls of others or the edification of the church. This phrase, always abounding in the work of the Lord, includes preaching and teaching Christ's Gospel, applying the content of Scripture to the lives of ourselves, edifying one another, sharing with others 
loving your neighbor as yourselves, earnestly desiring to keep the Word of God, and to do all of that out of a heart that's gratitude, with gratitude and thankfulness to God. Give yourself to work hard, always, day after day, regardless of your circumstances. Serving the Lord in that way. Doing those things that will benefit your own soul and those things that will benefit the people around you. The only things around us that are eternal is our relationship with God, with God's Word, and the souls of other people. That's it. The rest goes away. Are you living as you if you believe that you believe that always abounding in the work of the Lord? Those are the three expressions of a faithful life to God. Lastly, and just briefly, consider with me the biblical confidence of a faithful life. Verse fifty-eight says, "Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable." always abounding in the work of the Lord, and here it is, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Because of the gospel promises, because of Christ's resurrection, because of our own future resurrection, just keep on abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because the work you do for Christ in this life is not in vain. Paul says, it's not going to happen with Christ. Your work in Christ is not wasted. It's not worthless. It's not lost. You will be rewarded for it. Hebrews 6 verse 10 says this, God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards His name by having served and by still serving the saints. Listen, Christ is not going to forget. He's not going to forget anything that you do on His behalf. It's not in vain. Matthew 25.41 says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Mark 9.41 says, Whoever gives a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Revelation 22, verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Do you believe that? You believe Christ is going to come, and you believe that He's not going to miss anything that you do here on this earth for His name, for His glory? Then let's live like it. That's the biblical confidence of a faithful life to God. Application. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is our living hope. Let's never forget that truth. We can experience this hope today and every day of our lives until He comes home. No matter what our circumstances are in this life, because of the resurrection, we have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. This means we have union with Jesus now and in the future. God no longer sees our unrighteousness, 
but He sees us through the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We have been freed from the presence and the power of sin in our lives. Jesus has given us the right to be called children of God and has adopted us as sons and daughters. We are loved. We are chosen. We are forgiven. We are redeemed and given an inheritance that is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Today we can live a faithful life to God with our new identity in Christ and know that one day we will see Him face to face in His kingdom. We can live in hope today because we know our salvation has been secured through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. This gives each one of us here today a hope that is immovable and steadfast that nobody can ever, ever take away from us settled in heaven.